This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. How's it going, y'all? Welcome to another edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast 225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 1073 mobile app. It is fantastic to have you here. As always, we say when you listen to the show, subscribe to the show, throw us a like there on iTunes if you get the show from there. It helps our numbers. Also, you can leave us a review there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR or on Facebook backslash ClayYoung. We are counting down the days to the 2017 Smoke'em, if you got em, fundraiser this year again benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation with Taya Kyle in town for the event. If you haven't yet put it on your calendar, what are you waiting on? Why would you miss this? I mean, you want to talk about a party, the courtyard had been 77. We're talking about live music. We're talking about a live and a silent auction, a grill station. Hello, somebody, a grill station. Uh, also cigars provided by CLE. Now, I know a few, few of you heard me talking about the Cohiba. There was a hiccup with that on the side of the manufacturer. No big deal. Something that was a delay in their ability to deliver that. And so CLE, who provided the cigars last year, stepped up to the plate to make certain that we would be able to provide a cigar for uh, anyone who made the donation by way of the ticket and was coming to the event. So we're covered there, and it's going to be fantastic. I've actually added another sponsor, uh, Open Eyes Security and Training. They're going to be a sponsor, and I've got a meeting actually next week as I record this opening with a major company that wants to get involved as well and support what we're doing. Kudos to all the people on board. Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solutions. Uh, A solution. Insurance Procurement Service. My buddy Brian Bennett. Ben 77. Perkins Row. Garrity Media has been on board and helping us with this thing. CLE. Don Juan Tobacco Company. You know, Don Juan Cigar Company. I said, uh, maybe they want to be a tobacco company. But Don Juan Cigar Company. They've been on board. And it's, look, it's. It is growing and growing. Perkins Row is in the mix, and we are excited about what this event is going to be, and I look forward to seeing some of you there. It is Sunday, May 21st, the courtyard at Ben 77, and the event begins at 4 p.m. It's in May when the weather is still kind of nice, and we have a backup plan in the event that it rains, but I don't want to talk a lot about that because I don't want to jinx us and have, yeah, I don't want it to rain, but if it does, we got you covered. We have a place for you to be on the facility and still be able to enjoy a lovely, scrumptious, premium cigar if you are so inclined. And so that's coming up. We'll be talking a lot more about that. In fact, Taya Kyle will be a guest on this here show in the coming weeks to talk about coming to Baton Rouge for the fourth annual Smoke'em, if you got them, fundraiser at Ben 77 in Perkins Row as my cell phone goes off there. You know, it's one of those things that I'm sure you guys get it all the time where you get these calls from these weird towns, right? Like towns you've never heard of and and states. 
and it's a number you don't have. And I always tell people, if I don't have your number in my phone, if you call me, I'm probably not answering. I'd say a nine and three quarters shot out of 10, I'm not going to answer. So you might want to leave a voice message if you want to call back. Because if you, if you call me and you're not in my phone and you don't leave a message, it's like, it's like you never called. So uh, before we get to today's show, which features a conversation with Sergeant Brian Taylor of the Baton Rouge Police Department, he is also president of the union, going to be in studio with us talking about a great number of things. He's got some things on his mind that he wants to talk about. The legislative session is going on. And he's got some strong opinions about bills that have been filed by some legislators. And he's going to share some of that with you. And we'll get into some of the conversation that's been happening around the Baton Rouge area about law enforcement. He's a very forthright, honest guy. And he'll tell you what he thinks. Many of you may agree. Some of you may disagree. But for for him, I can tell you it is what it is. He's telling you what he really thinks. And he'll be in here in studio to talk about a great number of things, and I'm looking forward to that. As this show is recorded, as we're doing the open of this show at least, we learned this morning that Aaron Hernandez, who was an NFL player, he played for the New England Patriots. And Aaron Hernandez was serving time for murder. And recently was in the news because he was not charged in another murder. Well, he hanged himself in his cell using bed sheets. And I listened to some conversation on regular news media and with sports talk. And people were talking about the fact that he was a member of a gang. And they talked about this mindset of pro athletes to want to prove their street cred and want to prove their quote-unquote blackness. Listen to me. One man's opinion. First, I don't really know anything about Aaron Hernandez. So I'm not going to sit here and pontificate about his life beyond what we know. We know he's a criminal because we know he killed somebody, right? He was doing time for that. So we know that, right? In terms of most other things we don't know, and I will give you an example. There was a conversation that I watched this morning as some of this stuff was going on. And it was about um, him being evil, quote unquote. One of the people on ESPN was saying that. And they talked about his environment, right? And they talked about some of the circumstances that have led to him being what he was. And I said, you know, that's always so interesting. And then later on, on this show, one of the other hosts said that, well, they didn't know Aaron Hernandez, but that they had gone to school with Aaron Hernandez's brother, who was the starting uh, starting quarterback at 
the college that they were at together and that he was a stand-up guy who has given back to the community and coached kids and all of those things. And one of the other hosts said, that's just an example of how someone who grew up in apparent dire situations was in a house with someone else who chose, who chose to go another way. They chose not to be a criminal. They chose not to get in, get involved or involve themselves with killing anyone or being a part of any violent activity. So two people in the same house, one chooses to do one do one chooses to go in a direction that doesn't lead them to prison. And the other one chose to go in that direction. So, so much for saying that the environment contributed to where Aaron Hernandez ended up. Now, I'm not saying at all that environments and influence don't play a part in where many people end up in life. I would never say that. But in some cases, we do have to hold accountable the people who commit heinous acts and not always look to blame it on someone else. That's all I'm saying. Again, I make no other judgments about Hernandez. I make I can form no opinion about him based upon what we know from his actions. But there's a bigger issue at play here. When I get a chance to talk with kids in the inner city, if I may be more specific, black kids in the inner city, I tell them, if you have an opportunity to get out, get out. I do not believe in this mantra of keeping it real or a loss of blackness because you worked yourself out of a bad situation. To me, that's the dumbest thing. Quite frankly, I tell my children, you don't have to prove to anyone that you are black. If they are sighted, they know. All this other crap is just peer pressure elementary school garbage. If you can put a sentence together and sound like you have common sense, if you know how to tie a tie, if you wear your pants up on your behind and not hanging below your britches, that doesn't mean that you are not black enough. And that's a thing, right? Not black enough. What the hell does that mean? We should encourage kids to be the best that they can be. And here is what I say about kids who are in the hood. You get the hell out. And what you do when you get out is you reach back as an example or with resources to help others get out. You don't forget about the people who are the least of those among you. But get out. And don't apologize for making money. Don't apologize for doing okay for yourself. And there is in no way a reason for you to be guilty because you made it. I just think if you can, you reach back, you give back, you try to help people, you show up, you volunteer, you do what you can to at least be an example to the kids who would otherwise not ever see someone who's made it out. 
But this whole thing about street cred and proving your blackness and proving you hadn't forgotten where you came from. Look, man, that kind of foolishness is what has led to so many young men being shot up trying to prove how black they are. I don't believe in it. I can go further than that, but I won't. I'll just say I don't believe in it. And we should encourage kids who are in bad situations to get out. Just because you're poor does not mean you're, you are a criminal or you are going to be a criminal. There are people who get out all the time. And those are the examples we ought to be talking about. Just, again, one person's opinion. One person's opinion. Do I, and, and that's not casting blame on people who are in circumstances that they can't control and the tide rolling against them was too great for them to overcome. That happens too. But I, what I'm saying, the, the, and, and hear me well, the one point I'm trying to make, that is if someone has an opportunity to ethically, legally, honestly, through hard work, get out, get the hell out. Go make money. Don't apologize for it. Because two people starving can't feed each other. One person who's got enough or even enough for only himself but chooses to share it is in a better position than somebody sitting there whose stomach is growling as loud as yours. Long open for this week's show, but it's just it's it, the, the media and then some of this political correctness and this foolishness about being black. Shut the hell up. Encourage kids to be the best they can be, regardless of color. Black kids can learn, they can achieve, they can strive, they can succeed, they can win, they can overcome. Show them that, tell them that, and don't make people feel guilty for having an ability that gets them out of a bad situation. It's how gangs grab people. You forgot where you came from. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. That's all I'm saying. It's ridiculous. And I'm not saying that there isn't racism. I'm not saying that there aren't circumstances that hold people back. I would never say that because those things are true. But those things are sometimes overplayed. And having to, I, I've never been interested in proving anything to anybody on that score. Because half the people who demand you prove something to them have no real benefit that they add to your life because in business the result is what matters most and any clown who cares about anything other than the bottom line and the result is probably not somebody who's successful they're just on the sidelines loud I choose a side on issues and sometimes people agree with me, sometimes they disagree and that's okay because people that I know choose sides on issues and I may not disagree, but I may not agree, but that doesn't mean I hate them. We just disagree. That's what you do when you're an adult sometimes. All right, quick break and then we're back with Sergeant Brian Taylor with the Baton Rouge Police Department here on the Clay Young Show. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. 
Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control Solution. And this is the outdoor season, John. People are outside having crawfish boils and barbecues, and the fleas are pests, but you can help them with it. Yeah, we really can. This is the time of year you want to get out there and get in front of this, because this is going to be a bad season. It's been such a mild winter, and we have a lot of rain in the area. Yeah. You want to treat with a liquid or a granule, but it has to be a product that targets both the adult and the pre-adult stages. Now, what if some one has fleas but they don't own a pet well we actually see that quite often believe it okay. or not because okay. you have other animals in the yard that aren't getting treated like okay. squirrels and roaming cats and okay. possums etc yeah yeah so yeah they'll they'll jump on your leg for example when you're mowing the yard sure and they'll sure. just hitch a ride and come on in come on into the house stuff sounds amazing where can i find it in the new orleans area well, our metairie store is located at 3512 severn avenue next to the pepper mill on the north shore we're at 1417 north highway 190 in the same shopping center as Villarie florist and sherwin williams and on the west bank we're on the palco just past the harvey bridge This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Sergeant Brian Taylor with the Baton Rouge Police Department. He's also president of the Union of Police. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. It's um, it's it's an interesting time. Uh, you know, as a member of the police department and also the head of the union, you're wearing multiple hats at one time because you are part representative and obviously public servant on the streets. But I know uh, around now your blood pressure has been has been higher, uh, calmer now. It goes up and down. It goes up and down. So what is the morale of the department now? I think it's still good. I think I think we're still hanging in there. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole lot of wait and see. You hear so many rumors. You know what's going to happen with the chief of police. Yeah. Um, uh, we have. It has now moved into a, a political attack at the legislature. As far as I'm yeah. concerned. Um, that gets people a little disgruntled. Yeah. Kind of funny because uh, I mentioned it the other day. I'm like, at some point, to keep it simple, career politicians do not need <laughs> to dictate how the Baton Rouge Police Department is run. Period. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I'm sure you're referencing some legislation that has been brought about uh, during this smaller session. It's the fiscal session where lawmakers only get five uh, non-financial bills that they can they can propose Correct. and representative ted james has been in the news because of some of the bills that he has proposed and i'm assuming you're not throwing a party over any of those well i guess the most tame one as far as the baton rouge police department is concerned is increasing the amount of training hours yeah. that an officer has to have when they go through a basic academy for us, that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. He's wanting to increase it to 400 hours to make sure you have 20 hours of in-service per sure. year. Our basic academy is 800 hours. Uh, of those 800 hours, Post recommends or mandates 40 hours yeah. of firearms training. We yeah. do 96 hours of firearms training during that time. Of those 800 hours, we can associate two to 300 hours of de-escalation training mm-hmm. in there. So our in-services are 40 hours every year mm-hmm. so we far exceed you know i'd like to apologize to other municipalities because there's a vendetta by our local politicians to mess with the baton rouge police department and it's going to put a fiscal note on their yeah. backs do you think that do you think that's what this is you think that's this vendetta you, you think oh. this is you think this is targeted at jerking with brpd i absolutely do why? can i prove that no well based upon i've been around what? for a long time <laughs> but uh, but based upon what why are we fixing what's not broken 
how do we know something is broken? It's a knee-jerk reaction to one incident that occurred last summer. Yeah. And again, at this point, I'm still not going to get into the... Well, nor should you. In, it's pending. Into that. Yeah. But um, they're thinking that things are broken when they actually aren't. Have you had dialogue, at least since the last time we spoke here, with local law, local electeds about what the, the department is doing maybe them have an opportunity to ask you questions for the benefit of trying to understand? No, sir. I've been to one or two meetings. Um, the most recent that I went to was one of the meetings that uh, Councilwoman Tara Wicker yeah. was hosting. Yeah. And I spoke about civil service for a lengthy time. But I don't know if I had had my, our original meeting, if the union had with the mayor prior to me coming in last time. I don't remember. Uh, I don't think you had met with the mayor yet. It was a, more of a meet and greet yeah. and to let her know that we're human and we're on the same page. We How'd just that dialogue Baton Rouge. I, I thought it went relatively well. Okay. Um, I think there were some misconceptions on both sides so that you could feel a little tension in the air. But yeah. by the time the meeting was over, it, yeah. it was really nice. Since that time, uh, there's been no dialogue. I can tell you I met with her and uh, several people last week about the law enforcement memorial yeah we all know that it was taken down uh, yeah. there was a little controversy on how that was done yep. uh, she has assured us uh, between uh, head leaders uh, braf mm -hmm. we're trying to locate a place downtown where we can build a new memorial there's yeah. going to be a fundraiser and it's yeah. going to be bigger and better than what we had in the past and where, she was where all downtown far. We don't know yet. Okay. I think we have another meeting in two to three weeks, and they're going to okay. identify certain locations, and we will probably go out and look at it and as a committee decide what would be best mm -hmm. for our fallen yeah. and best for the community to access it so that they can actually go see it. It's a shame. You know, when you talk about law enforcement now and the dialogue that goes on, I think it's so often not constructive and look, I'm pro law enforcement and military just for the for the benefit of letting everybody know what side I stand on. You know, that's where I am. However, I think that having dialogue about ways to improve relations between law enforcement and community is not a bad thing. I know you don't think it's a bad thing either. Absolutely. It's just not. the way that some are going about leading the discussion that causes Tension even before you get into a room. Presentation is everything. Yeah. Down to, I received something on my email for a meeting, and yeah. it says police reform. Well, that automatically puts me on a defensive yeah. because it may not be police reform. Yep. We're not just discussing the police department. We're talking about community reform. We're mm -hmm. talking about education. We're talking about respect from both sides. We're just, we have always been, and we're easy we're the bad guy. It's so, easy to make us the bad guy. So what do you do about that now? I mean, you, you obviously, you, you are the, the head of the union. You're, you're on the job every day. But you see this thing that's happening right now. You see what's going on. And I know we've talked about this. You don't want, you don't want this town to be upside down and intense over some of the things that are being said out, out there. So if, if you had the opportunity to say, look, I want to I fix this. Now, granted... If you break the law and you're a criminal, you ought to be in jail. I mean, that's just that's the way it works. I'm that's not even talking do. about that. I mean, in terms of the narrative that's out there about cops and and this this wall that's been built apparently between law enforcement and predominantly black communities, because that's what we're talking about here. That's always at the crux of it. How do you fix that? How do you make that better? 
you have to come to the table without an agenda. Yeah. You have to come to the table with an open mind. I learn things at these meetings. Yeah. People tell me stories, and I'm like, I didn't see it from that angle. But I go in with an open mind and go, yeah. I can understand that, or possibly I can explain why things happened yeah. in the manner in which they happened. My problem is I, I juggle two sides. My biggest concern is for the 640-something members of the Baton Rouge Police Department. They are my family. I am their cheering section. Sure. I am their voice. And my biggest goal or my biggest uh, priority mm-hmm. is their morale, is to speak up for them. Because unlike past years, we receive a whole lot more support verbally now yeah. in the community than yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. So much to the fact that I've had conversations with some of the my officers or our officers, and I'm like, I need to come up with an answer if someone passes me on the street because when someone says officer we appreciate what you're doing at first it kind of took me aback because i wasn't used to it now i'm getting used to it and i can genuinely show them how much we appreciate just hearing things at the same time uh i've got to like i said stand up for them but when I go to these meetings, I want them to understand that we're human. Yeah. We are out here trying to do the best job that we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I try to bring facts and training and explain that in layman's terms mm-hmm. so maybe they understand our perspective. I think if you could understand our perspective of what we do, put yourself in our shoes, just as I'm trying to do with you, yeah. that we can go a long way. I think you're right. That's kind of a part of what this, what this is. Police officers don't want to have a judgment thrown over them and be treated like they have they have to work from a credibility or even a humanistic deficit. And I think you have people in predominantly black communities who are saying almost the same thing. So and I'm not talking about instigators or, or people who are trying to you know manipulate the situation for their own benefit. I mean so that people can understand that the two sides need one another. And the greatest example is a little lady, Miss Vicky, I guess about you know, six, seven weeks ago now, who helped that officer. It's concerning to me, though, that the dialogue has risen to this level, and it doesn't seem as though anybody is trying to, on the elected level, lead this into a place where you can fix it. But then again, in the black community, I think it is a small number. Their oh, sure. voice is just very loud. I think, again, I, I say it here all the time, the majority of the people who live in inner, inner city communities are not criminals. Correct. It would be utter chaos if the opposite were true. The majority of the people there are not criminals. It's just the criminals, they have they carry a big stick and they use it. We see more victims than we do no question. bad guys. But I just, I, I do think the sides need one another. It's, it's clear you've got some problems with the way legislation has, has been filed here. Um, and you mentioned Representative James, but there's been dialogue by lots of people on on both the city council and the legislative level. If you could get these people in a room and have an opportunity to speak first and say something, what would you say? I did some of it together, Baton Rouge meeting. Like we need to take a complex problem yeah. and simplify it. Yeah. That's what I've done for 20 years. I go out on a SWAT call out and all kind of things are going on. Mm-hmm. I try to simplify it. There are usually simple answers to this. Let's start when kids are young. 
if I see your child for the first time when he's 13 or 14 years old and between the time he started walking until 14 and he wasn't parented and I have to start interacting with him in a negative way, we've already lost him. Right, right. It's, do you think there are dialogues of that nature in terms of the community? Maybe not guys and, and, and women on the job, but do you think there are those dialogues to try to build a bridge going on now? I'm not sure if there are. I'm not part of it. Yeah. I can tell you that, uh, believe it or not, a big problem that we have, if you look at the murder rate in Baton Rouge, just mm-hmm. black-on-black crime. Yeah. There's no uproar about that. None. None yeah. whatsoever. Right. If a police officer is involved, no matter what color he is, it is an uproar. That's true. But when people in neighborhoods are killing people on the next street over, mm-hmm. it gets a little clip on the news, and it's almost like... It's it's common. And un- and unfortunately, most people just kind of see it as commonplace and there's no real emotion. There's no media. I mean, I, rem- I could still remember, I think it was last year, beginning of last year, when two young ladies who I think both attended Southern were shot out by LSU outside of a party or something. And no- nobody really cared. And I agree with you. That bothers me as well. And I think you got to care. If- Look, man, if if all lives matter... You got to care about the color of every person who who is alive. Exactly. We do not want to go to a murder scene. We're we're tired of seeing people dead on the street. Yeah. Um. I'll have to give it to him, and I hope people don't listen to this while they're driving in their car because they'll get in a wreck. But I have to give some props to Silky Slim. <laughs> and I, let me let me go here. Let me go here. He does some retarded stuff at the council <laughs> meetings just to get attention. But if you really sit down when he's not up there peacocking, that's what I call it, um, he still delivers the messages that we have to stop with ourselves. I'll give him that little bit. That message, at least he is one person that is still saying what needs to be said about that. Now, everything else overshadows that, so they don't probably hear that message. But I have to give him the props that he at least says it. Taylor just uh, commented. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> complimented. Wow. That'll be on loop a few times on, no, probably on somebody's so. phone. <laughs> but like I said, he, well, he just, actually brings it out, and it's, it's not that often. And again, I believe everything else that he does overshadows that. How do we – do you think the average person – I don't think the average person hates police officers. I don't Absolutely think the majority not. of people hate police officers. I think and, – and we've talked about this before – that when there is a case of an officer who has violated his oath, his or her oath, people want to be sure that they are, they are being held to the same standard. And there are people who believe that they're not being held to the same standard. What is your response to that? Because that keeps coming up, as I'm sure you know. Yes, it's another excuse. Uh, I think we're held to a higher standard. I think we have more checks and balances and reviews and things put in place whether it be documentation of anything that we do, whether it be compelled statements from internal investigations. Whereas if I go in and and give a false statement to the Internal Affairs Division, it's proven that it's false. You can be fired for giving a false statement. So there are checks and balances. Uh, Civil service does not protect bad police officers. Civil service allows them an opportunity to tell their story if they deem 
that the appointing authority, which would be the chief of police, yeah. did not have cause yeah. and did not administer punishment in good faith. That's uh, all uh, they dr- look dr- at. Drill down on that. When you say seek, uh, civil service does not protect bad cops. That is correct. Explain. There is a process that must be followed. Okay. Police Officers Bill of Rights, yeah. which gives them right. minimal standards. All of those have to be followed during the investigation by the police department. At the conclusion of that investigation, they have a lauder mill hearing, which is a predisciplinary hearing, okay. where they can go in and talk to the chief and his appointees that he has on that committee right. to determine what, if any, punishment would be given to that officer mm-hmm. for the accusations that were brought against him. Yeah. If for some reason that officer determines that or feels or his legal uh, representation feel that it was an excess for for the crime, I guess yeah. you would say, yeah. for the violation of policy, then he can appeal it to the Civil Service Board, which is, in my mind, a Citizens Review Board yeah. that has laws. Is it weighted in favor of the officer? Absolutely not. How? Why not? There are five people on the board. One is an elected police officer. One is an elected fireman. Right. The other three are appointees, one from Southern University, one from LSU, and one from the mayor's office. Okay. So you have five people there. The reason you have a police officer on the board is they can explain policy, uh, regulations, procedures mm-hmm. to the civilians and the firemen that are on the board. Same with the fire representative. If it's something about the inner workings of the fire department, he is there and can explain to everyone else exactly how the fire department works. Independently, they cast their vote. They can overturn, they can amend, or they can uphold what the chief from either the fire or police department Mm -hmm. give them. All right. It's it's interesting because... this kind of conversation, have you had this conversation in, with local media here about what we just talked about? Somewhat. I can tell you, like, the, the meeting, the last meeting I went to with Councilwoman Wicker, mm-hmm. I spoke for two hours about civil sure. service. Yeah. I used to be on the civil service. No, no, I mean for, for the years. public, I, I, which is understandably so with, with what uh, Councilwoman Wicker was trying to do. I mean, so that in a setting like this where the public can have access to it, that they can hear what you just said ex- explaining it. Because people hear civil service board and, you know, it may as well have 50 people on it because the average citizen doesn't have a real concept of how that thing operates. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. So when you're explaining it to people and people talk about civil service protection, let's that one is an example. What defines civil service protection? A classified employee okay. with the fire department or the police department mm-hmm. A classified employee is under municipal fire and police civil service. Right. And that is just one one aspect of civil service. They also handle the grading of tests. Sure. Or not the grading of them, but administering the right. tests with the state examiner's right. office. There are rules in place. The they, chief's test, for Yes, instance. the yeah, chief's yeah, test yeah, would yeah, be yeah, one. Yeah. They govern just about everything that we do. Our performance of, uh, what's it called, PAF. Personnel action forms. If mm-hmm. I get promoted, mm-hmm. then there are forms that go to civil service, and they keep track of all of that. It tells it, us when we can, when you can get rid of someone, when you can promote someone. It's just 
the underlying fact is right. that they govern how municipalities are sure. run. And so this board here has, you said, five members. Five members. Three of which are appointed by the city, Southern, and LSU. That is correct. And the other two come from where? They are elected. They are the elected. The police department elects their representative. Okay. The fire department elects their representative. Okay. Even the appointees from both universities and the mayor's office have to have approval from the council. Okay. So now, there are civil service protections. Give me the... Define for me the way that it works, because I think a lot of people are learning from what you're explaining. Define for me the way that it works when an action by an officer is deemed uh, a departmental violation versus, say, a criminal violation. Or, and, and, and maybe civil service doesn't come into play if someone has been accused of a crime and they're on the job. But, but maybe it does. Explain, it, explain to us how that works. What we have within our policy is violation of laws okay. is a policy violation. Okay. If you are terminated or suspended mm-hmm. for violation of laws, mm-hmm. and it was I'm trying to think of something really, really minor. Let's say you know negligence, uh, negli- you know running a red light and slamming into a car, not paying attention. That wouldn't be criminal. Um, okay. Uh well let's, let's well let's say uh, something like uh, taking something out of an evidence locker or something like obstruction that. Obstruction of a roadway. Obstruction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody knows about that one. It's yeah. in the news for it still is. Yeah, it is. What about that? You know, some misdemeanor mm-hmm. that small, okay. they probably would not be terminated for it. Okay. They would spend it. But if you and I both did the same thing and you were suspended for three days and I was suspended for 30 days, right. then I think I would appeal to civil service and go, hey, Clay got three days. Sure. Yeah. I got 30 days. Right. I do not see good faith in the mm-hmm. punishment that was administered to me. So when people consider this board all powerful, all right, and I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it's, it's a governing body. What's your response to it? not all powerful. Mm-hmm. They are a part of the process because I can tell you if I go to civil service, if anyone else goes to civil service and the decision that is made by civil service, they don't agree with, they yeah. can appeal it to 19th JDC right. who can then appeal it to the appeals court. Right. There are some that have gone all the way up to the state Supreme Court. Right. That is just a process. Now the, the police chief selection begins let's just say the position was open let's let's say we're we are not in this thing we're in right now okay but let's say that chief dabity had announced last fall that he was going to retire at the end of the year and so it was independent of elections and the way that this works as i understand it is the mayor can call for a civil service test and this board begins the process of creating that test and then uh, if you were interested in being police chief, you would apply to take the test. Is that right? You would submit an application. Okay. Uh, first process. That that never really <laughs> happens here. Go ahead. <laughs> That's funny, but go ahead. Uh, first step is she would submit a letter to the Civil Service Board yeah. saying she would like to call for the chief's test. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, they would agree to call for the test because it's a formality. Right. They would accept applications for a period of time. Right. Once the applications were in, the board would take the applications and review them to make sure that they met the qualifications that are set aside in civil service for our police chief. Okay. Make sure they met all of those qualifications. For those that met the qualifications, they would be put on a list to take the test. Okay. 
Civil Service Board would be in direct contact with the state examiner's office who mm -hmm. actually administers and grades the test. Mm -hmm. A test location is found, it's set up, Civil Service takes care of all of that. Uh, civil Service, at least one representative, is present during the testing. Once the test is taken, the tests go to the state examiner's office. Mm -hmm. From there, they grade it. The scores come back to civil service to approve them, and then you now have an active list that is would be given if it's for the chief yeah. to the mayor's office. Yes, so to these, from. these are the people who have met at least the minimum standard well, to be considered for the job. They met the minimum standards job. and they passed the test yes. with a minimum score of seventy-five. That's right. Okay, so that's the way this works for anyone wondering just how it happens in a normal situation. It's the way it worked when Chief Englade left and then Chief Leduff, because there was an interim after Chief Englade and then Chief Leduff took the test. That is correct. And then, of course, that was the way it worked with Dwayne White who took the test. And, and actually the way it followed after the interims behind Chief White when Dabity, uh, Chief Dabity got, got the job. It's a minimum of a three-month process yeah. to even get to the test. So you're looking at three to four months. Okay. Four, maybe a little longer, depending yeah. on how many people take the test, to actually have a list that has been approved by the Civil Service Board. So I wanted to go that route as a basis of understanding <coughs> so that I can lead to this question. Because there is a question now. I think Ted James is filing a bill that would remove those parameters from the police chief's employment and then make it the sole decision of the mayor president. That is correct. And so then if that happens, what does that mean for the civil service board? That means he would no longer be classified and he would be an at-will employee to the mayor. Okay. He or she. How does that change? How does that change the reality of the top position with the department? It changes it greatly. Couple ways to explain it. One, I'm a 21-year, 21-and-a-half-year veteran of the police department. Right. And if I have aspirations of becoming chief at 25 years, I say, okay, I want to take the test and I want to become a chief. Well, okay. without it being classified, there's no test. Civil service doesn't give that test anymore because he would no longer fall underneath their umbrella. So how then would the chief be selected? An interview process? Applications and an interview process. No testing just an interview process. My concern is with the members that I know we have on the Baton Rouge Police Department, yeah. there's probably 10 right now that could go be a police chief all over this country mm -hmm. because they have that ability. Right. If I was one of those and at 25 years I decided to leave the classified system yeah. to go over there, there's going to be issues with retirement because I left my classified system I took the chief's job. Uh -huh. um, I think it would lead to micromanaging because... Explain. You can only get rid of a classified employee for cause. In other words, they, they're not doing their job. They did something uh, you know, illegal. There's malfeasance. There's something that, that there is, otherwise betrays the public trust. Correct. If I'm the mayor and you're the police chief and I yeah. come in one day and say, Clay, I want you to take... All of your first district officers, I want them to ride around all day, and I don't want them to arrest anyone. I don't want them to do anything. I, you know, just come up with something crazy. And I go, no, that's not how we work. You're fired because you didn't do what I told you to do. Right. Or I come in one day and I'm in a bad mood and go, you know what? 
I hate polka dotted ties. Yeah. You're fired. Yeah. Yeah. Where do I go? Yeah. It, it, it prevents those that came up through the Baton Rouge Police Department. Yeah. It's going to be a risk for them to have that job. Well, lots of cities have police chiefs that are appointed. Some some cities have police chiefs that are elected. I will tell you that I think that something like this does remove politics from the scenario because of how we have it now. Because if a person is selected by a mayor and he or she, and I guess at this point it's only been he's, but who knows, you know, if he or she gets the job based upon uh, criteria, you know, their, their resume, what they've done, experience and all of that, and they're in the job and their, their job is to run the police department and not be political figures, this kind of protects them from that. Absolutely. Because the mayor can't then go in and say, and again, I'm not saying that Mayor Broom's intention would be to make this person a political tip of the spear. I'm, I'm, but I'm saying, independent of her, no matter who the mayor is, this is one of those positions where you remove politics. I quietly don't like that judges have to run for office here. Well, this you is know, not but, about Mayor Broom. This is, we're looking in the future. Yeah. This has changed. Who is the next mayor? Sure. Who's the mayor after that? Sure. And, you know, I've spoken to people who have said, shouldn't the mayor be able to choose his or her department head? You own a business. I said, well, no, that's but that's not the way that it works. You can't you can't equate commercial business to a government entity. It doesn't work like that, because when you are a servant of the public, you work for all of the people. Whereas if I screw something up with my business, I'm the one who's behind is on the line here. You know, so uh, I just. uh I wanted to talk about that to give people an understanding about how this whole thing works. Now, I know that the mayor and Chief Dabity have apparently been talking about how this is going to work out. And I'm not going to put you in the position of being in the middle of how he feels, how she feels, or any of that. I but, wouldn't know anyway. Right. Look, there are certain things that I get to stay out of, and I love it. <laughs> I've got my nose in too much. Listen, don't want to know anything you don't have to know. That's right. But, but the presence of this issue has to have had an impact on the rank and file. And if that is the case, what impact has that been? I think more of the not knowing, the uncertainty of the future gets to people. Uh, I think, like I've said before, any officer that's been here less than 12 years has never gone through a change in the mayor's office. So it, it it is different from them. I've been through two or three different mayors. So it's the uncertainty. You know, we like... We're analytical people yeah. for the most part. Yeah. We like to know what's happening tomorrow right. and the next day yeah. and a month from now. Right. What is Sergeant Brian Taylor's definition of community policing? Policing. Really simple. Okay. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, my geographic location for my home. Right. What it has to do with is I am assigned an area when we have enough police officers on the street, and we, I'll, I'll be glad to get into that. Yep. He works that area. He gets to know the people that are in that area. He knows the bad guys. Mm-hmm. He knows the good guys. He knows the little old lady on the corner right. that uh, you go by and check on because she has no other family. You have time to get out and play basketball with the kids right. or throw a football you are just, you don't live there, but you spend the majority of your waking time there. And if you're in that area and you get to know people, right. you know the problems, not just police problems. It could be 
uh, sewage problems. It could be drainage problems. It will allow you to say, hey, look, I know you're having this problem right here. This is who I can get you in contact with. Right. It's a quality of life issue. But again, it has nothing to do with where the officer's from, what the officer looks like. It's him being vested in that part of the community, which we're all for. We're doing it now. Yeah. Do we do it as much as we would like to? Absolutely not. Why because not? Because of the call volume. And as I sit here today, we're 59 officers short on the Baton Rouge Police Department. Add the 22 that just graduated last week, it would be, what, 73? Yeah. They are counted. So, but they, they're not out there by themselves. They're oh, wait training. a minute. So, so you've... So the people in Academy are counted in the number of employed... Correct. Police officers. Yes. And you're still 55 down? 59 short. 59 short. Yes. Why? Why? Some is attrition. Okay. Um, people retiring or correct. moving and, on. And yeah. that goes up and down depending yeah. on how many academies they ran 30 right. years ago. Right. They may have run academies back to back. Got to be paid too. Well, I'll get to that. Okay. But we have... What we're seeing now is young officers leaving. Okay. They're leaving to go work at Exxon as machinists. I know one that left to go work for Cox Cable. Uh, several have left to go to Texas. State police is going to have an academy. I, I don't know for a fact, but I'm mm-hmm. hearing we may lose two or three there. That's all about pay. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, the climate's not great for police, but you do the job because it chose you. Yeah. That's why I'm sitting here today. Yeah. I didn't choose it. It chose me. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Maybe if I was here five or six or seven years, I may consider doing something different. But yeah. after 21 and a half years, I don't know how to do anything else. How do you get more people to want to be police officers? Our recruiting is great. Why? Why is it great? Because I know the men and women that are in the recruiting division, in the training division, and they put more effort into recruiting, and that is recruiting everywhere Mm -hmm. in the minority community in the uh other communities they're well-rounded they put a plan together and this stuff all ties in together we get one academy per year budgeted we probably need to run back to back 20 or 30 man academies just to get us up if we're 59 short now 22 people are going to get cut loose. We're still 59 short. How many more are retiring before we can get a whole cycle of of officers through? So in the recruiting process, I'll go ahead and lead into this. You've seen all the discussion about the body cameras. Yeah. Um, That's supposed to come up on the the agenda on the the 26th. Well, this is where it's going to tie in. Body cameras are great. Mm -hmm. I would love to see all of our officers have body cameras. Um, I think it would shock a lot of people, especially if some of those videos were actually out yeah. there in the public. You remember several years ago, there was this big uproar about thugging it and loving it. Yeah. You remember that video? Yeah. yeah. Take these body cameras for six months and put them on all the police officers. It'll make thugging it and loving it look like a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. That's what we deal with. Yeah. I've actually heard from a lot of cops who say they don't have a problem with the cameras. That One of the things that I've heard often is I'd love to see some of that money go to things like salary or better equipment or things like that. But by and large, I don't hear a whole lot of, you know, we don't need them. 
I mean, it's just kind of the truth. People people don't have as much of a problem with it. But but getting back to it, I, I, I sorry to cut you off there. It is going to come up that they're going to allocate, I guess, around a million dollars to uh, to two, buying it. Two point five. Two point five. And oh. then they're estimating the yeah. one point three. I can tell you these cameras will probably be obsolete in two to three years, yeah. and then it's it's a money pit. Uh, but again, I, I'm for them. Everyone has a camera anyway. Everyone has a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Nothing is hidden, no right. matter what you do. So go ahead and get used to it. But, 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 but and this is always the part that people don't like. Uh, we have priorities on the police department. There's been needs assessments on the police department. Um, as you know, we bought out of budget money, carry forward money last year, 450 rifle ballistic plate carriers for our officers. Yeah. Well, guess what? We're 250 short. So I we have 450 officers that can be protected from a rifle round and 250 that just didn't make the cut because they're not out there all the time. Cameras are great. Cameras don't stop bullets. We need 250 vests. At yeah. $425 a vest, you're looking at $106,000 one-time expenditure. So you can take that 106,000 from the 2.5 million, you still got 2.4 to go. Uh, if you ride around and look and see what our, our fleet of units looks like, we were in bad shape before the flood. We replaced the ones that flooded, but we didn't advance. Right. It takes four to four and a half million a year to take every vehicle we have in our fleet and keep them between three and five years. That's the cost of doing you business. You mean four million plus a year for the entire fleet? Yes, and what they do, that will allow the fleet to be cycled out every right. three to five years. Yeah. Obviously, you know they're because running. of the stress on those cars, yeah, well, or or the, vehicles. Period. The mileage, yeah. We still have 2006 and 2007 Chevy Impalas yep. that are on the street yeah. that we may have paid eighteen thousand dollars for, brand new plus the upfitting. Mm-hmm. So you have to add some for that. Go pull a maintenance record. Find a, a a unit that looks as old as dirt. Do a public records request and say, I want the maintenance record on unit one, two, three yeah. for the last three years. And they could have bought that car probably two or three times over. That's not fiscally responsible. Yeah. And do you want me responding to your house in an emergency in a piece of crap that might break down on me on the way there? Gonna probably no. not. Going to say no. Oh. Um, well, wait a minute. But, but I mean, I, you're, I know that obviously there's a list of equipment and things that the force needs and legitimately so. Where's the dialogue there between the department and the, and the mayor to say, okay, look, these are some things we need. Can we give you this list? Have y'all tried to at least sit and say, can we give you this list? Because these are things we need now. These are not bells and whistles and wants. These are actual needs. I have not, but I also am leery. I'm not going to put myself in a position that this is above my pay grade. I'm not going to step on the administration's toes on this. Uh, I will talk about them yeah. all day long. But you're in, you're in a unique position obviously as the head of the union. So it isn't as, as though you are stepping over the chief to do this as as the head of the union. I mean, you, you have a responsibility to the men and women who are members of the union to speak on their behalf. Is that fair? Yes. And so then why wouldn't you want to have that conversation to say, hey, we need to talk about this. If there's going to be money spent and we have these needs, why can't we sit and reasonably discuss this? Well, first, I can't say that those conversations have not been had because I was not privy to it. Um, I'm a so the mayor may have been speaking with somebody about these things. Yes, I don't know one way or the other. Uh, 
but I just know what our needs are. I know okay. what the needs of the officers are. I, my goal is to keep them as safe as possible right. and to provide them with the best equipment they can to help them do their jobs. That's what it boils down to. To make this happen, to make this happen, if, if right now, all things being equal, if do you believe the money is there to get, get you the things that you need? The things that we need minus the pay raise are yeah. one-time expenditures, yep. and that $2.5 million would cover just about everything we need. Okay. You know, you, you look at, um, we've had in the budget, obviously, police headquarters was the epicenter of yeah. everything last year. Sure. We have in the budget to harden that complex, yeah. so to speak. Because there's still a, a tower that's still completely unused well, now, I'm just right? talking about they... just to secure the complex oh, okay. itself. Okay. Um, I think that's quarter of a million dollars so Big you take campus. that off of it yeah. yes and yeah. i think it's, it's more fencing right. and things of that nature right. limited access yeah because it needs to be that way mm-hmm. um our first and second districts i can tell you look at the call now for people first listening district, where's first where's first district for people who don't okay. know where it is first district is north of florida boulevard right. from the river on the west to airline on the east right. and the north side is evangeline right. that's first district and second district second district is south of florida boulevard goes out what well, goes to the river back to laburge mm-hmm. now that we've taken that in yep. all of college drive uh mayfair uh a small portion of gardier and mm-hmm. it goes out to right around jefferson highway that's how i was going to ask about jefferson because i know that that's in there as well so but you were going to make a, a case about that, but I wanted everybody to be aware of where you were talking about. The call volume is the greatest there. Yeah. Go look at their districts with their leaky roofs and stuff. They need a place where they can operate out of. They just need remodeling. Sure. So, you know, that's one-time expenditures. Hey, yeah. let's let's make these buildings uh, habitable. Yeah. You know, they... That's to an extreme. They're, they are that. But but there, there are things that need to be there. Go back recruiting. Have you ever been to our training academy? I have not. It is in the old portion of the hospital. I believe in first impressions. And if I was a young guy that's trying to pick between two different police departments and I have a little get together to try to recruit people and I walk up in this building, you know, homeless people lived in there at one time. Since the training academy was there, a homeless person that was living in one side of the building came out and broke the glass in the vending machine outside and the cleaning crew grabbed him until some of our officers got over there. Wow. It, it doesn't represent professionalism. Why can't we sink some of that money? Because not only, you know, that affects recruiting mm-hmm. in my opinion. So you well, the, spend a little money yeah. there, maybe that helps us on the well, recruiting you, side. You hear this all the time. There are people who support this, who are going to say that this is, this is a way to increase public trust, these cameras. And so you're doing that as almost a PR thing. Somewhat. But always the safety of the officers come yeah. first in yeah. my mind. So you mentioned earlier, and we, we, I want to talk more about it, pay. And the fact that you're down 55, 59 officers with 22 coming on... If you are a if you're an 18 to 25 year old person, either someone 
who wants to go straight into law enforcement, someone who is maybe coming out of the military in their early 20s after doing a a tour in one of the branches, but you want to remain close to some kind of protection law enforcement. Somebody in my family did that. And so, and you're looking at where you want to go. Let's say you live in the capital region and you've got Jeff over there in Ascension, Jeff Wiley, or you've got the sheriff's office or you've got state police and you look at PD and what PD is making coming in. Gonzalez Police Department. Gonzalez. Uh, oh, they got us. Oh, come on, don't yank my leg. Oh, like yeah. That. I can't tell you what their start is. Oh, yes. We've had people leave us and go to Gonzalez. They pay wow. better. I was told, I can't confirm, that even starting off at the sheriff's office in the jail is higher than our entry level. You know, so They don't that- want to see the numbers, but I'll tell you what. I would tell someone tomorrow, I knew I didn't want to be a state trooper. Mm-hmm. I know what the majority of their job is. Yeah. And... That's not what I wanted to do. Well, it's a different animal. It's a a different animal. Yeah. But it's kind of hard to pass up that pay. When you're starting out. I mean, when a starting, how does the starting salary of a state police officer compare to, let's say, well, we know starting pay, it's, it's, it's higher. But let's say, at what point on the job does someone surpass what the state police pays someone when they get hired? I'm trying to think with their their entry level. If Chad King was here, he could spout it out. He's good with numbers. Uh, I can tell you we start at a little over 32. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. because if you – and lots of officers, and one of the things you hear all the time is that officers make a ton of money and – off-duty work they get to take their cruisers and go do off-duty work i'm making air quotations here but and and because of that they can offset the fact that they only make 32k to start because they may be able to go pick up another 15 20 thousand dollars in overtime and i don't know if that's feasible but that still is less than fifty five thousand dollars if you do the math and that's before taxes so you're not getting rich even on that but but speak to that oh i can speak to that because if you don't have that detail or you don't have that overtime that you can go to, you're not going to raise a family on what we get paid. Right. Now, I can say I do very well. I'm comfortable. But I can also tell you for every hour that I'm gone, yeah. it's an hour that I'm away from my family. Sure. So, But there are people who will say that's what you signed up for. Bullshit. <laughs> No, we also you also hear people say that we signed up to get our butts kicked or you know get shot at. No, we didn't. Right. We signed up to do a job and to protect you. Sure. We didn't sign up for that. We don't want that to happen. You know, I I've worked probably. I couldn't tell you. I've never worked a forty-hour week ever. I can't imagine most people in law enforcement. If I go, and you mean, and, and you mean you've never worked. As few as that, you mean, correct? Right. So, yes. for people to understand, you're, yes. and I would imagine that that would be the case for lots of law enforcement because there's always an opportunity that even on an off day you can get a call and be pulled out to something that's happening correct. in the city. Now, what would a, a reasonable person say? I can work seventy hours a week, mm-hmm. seventy hours a week for twenty years yeah. and make sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, maybe more, mm-hmm. or I could work 40 hours a week and make the same money. Now, why would I go to work well, yeah. extra for yeah. the same amount of money? Yeah. yeah. You know, they don't want to hear it. 
I, I've been telling people lately, I believe throwing some chump change at our pay is yeah. not going to do it. Right. That they need to get our starting pay up to forty grand yeah. to be competitive with anyone, and then it increases in your percentages from there. Now, that's going to cost a lot of money. Sure. But is it a priority? I think it's worth it to to be able to compete for the best and the brightest and to Absolutely. be able to keep people here because the department does have a great number of college-educated ed- kids who leave with degrees and the nut that goes with it. I'm talking student loan. And then they want to be in law enforcement, but they want these advanced, these undergraduate or advanced degrees so they can hop into that space specific area of law enforcement and then when you've got sally may you know ready to put a horse head in your bed and then after you all the time so i always call sally may a mafia member man so uh, it's 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 hard to get these kids to want to compete for or get them to want to come in and and do this until you're competing against all these other agencies how can you ask someone that goes and spends thirty thousand dollars on an education or more yeah and come out and make that. Yeah. Their expectations at this point with the people that are in college now, their expectations aren't to come out and make yeah. $32,000 a year. No. Not with what they have vest, invested into it. It's you know, tough. My daughter graduates from LSU next month, and I swear somebody's going she want, somebody's gonna pay her a million dollars just to be in their building. She thinks that I'm trying to fix that, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to learn more about... Um, what the agenda of the union is, and I think you covered a lot of ground here, you know, how can they find out? And if, if the public wants to engage in the conversation, how would you recommend them doing that? I'm always open for discussion. Sure. What I have found, I have the or have had the potential to be argumentative in the past. You? Whether you believe that or not. Oh, no, um, man. But what I'm thoroughly enjoying is going to these meetings yeah. and educating yeah. from our perspective yeah. as to why we do what we do, what our thought process is, yeah. why we believe this is an attack on us, why we believe you can help us yeah. in reaching this end goal. What is our end goal? Our end goal is to stop the crime yep. and to get along. Yeah, It takes both sides. Would, would you be amenable to a discussion a discussion, let's say if you wanted to talk about some of these things in the public and then invite the mayor or you know some official to be there and actually hear some of what you said here today, have the discussion about what fa- what's fact versus what's fiction. Would you be open to something like that? Absolutely. So maybe that's something we'll, we'll I like to, to talk. We'll have to maybe we can put something like that together. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, and, and and so we talked about the legislation. We talked about the pay raise issue. Um, we talked about the body camera issue that went on as well. And again, I support body cameras. Right. They're not the top priority. Yeah. For the safety of our officers. One of the other things going on now, as you know, is the the anticipation of when the decision is coming down. Now, obviously, we can't get into any of that, and I wouldn't ask you to. However, what is your hope for Baton Rouge whenever that day comes and we find out one way or the other what the Justice Department has decided? I hope all the planning, I hope all the preparation was a waste of time. That's what I hope. I hope we are ready for the worst 
and that we have a whole bunch of officers from all over the state bored to death. I want to be sitting somewhere and I want to hear officers go, I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. There you go. Sergeant Brian Taylor, head of the union, member of the Baton Rouge Police Department, specifically SWAT. (laughs) Thanks for coming in, brother. Yes, sir. (laughs) This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107 mobile app. Mark your calendars now for the 2017 Smoke 'em If You Got Them fundraiser taking place on Sunday, May 21st at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row. The event starts at 4 o'clock. It'll feature live music, food, a live and silent auction, and a special guest will be at this year's event as we benefit the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Taya Kyle will be in attendance. What a fun way to serve our country, to come out and have a good time at the event with the cool name smoke them if you got them i'm gonna be there i would love to see you there come out have a good time live music cigars good food sunday may 21st 4 p.m bin 77 bistro in perkins row i can't wait to see you there it's gonna be a fun day tickets are available online at chris or clayyoungent.com you can also buy them at the door it's the 2017 smoke em if you got them fundraiser sunday may 21st presented by orion and instruments. This is the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. All right, y'all, I had that long-winded open, so I'm going to keep this one brief. Don't forget, Smoke em If You Got Them is on Sunday, May 21st at Ben 77 in Perkins Row in Baton Rouge, benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation and presented by Orion Instruments. I hope to see you there. Patrick Mulhern, formerly the man who ran Celtic Studios in Baton Rouge, big movie studio, is going to be our guest. We're going to find out a little bit why Patrick is no longer in that same capacity and where he thinks the quote-unquote Hollywood of the South is headed. We'll talk with him next week about that. Until then, you guys take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves, all right? And we'll see you next week here on The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.